Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Charles Allnut. He is the Executive Vice President of Microsourcing. If you've kept in touch with any of the outsourcing news lately, you probably would have heard of Probe Group acquiring microsourcing. This happened about one year ago and actually coincided with uh, the advent of uh, COVID. So it has been a big roll-up from the pro group of uh, three or four significant Philippine BPOs, and all of that really happened throughout this recent pandemic. So it's been an incredible ride for all of them at Probe Group. Microsourcing is a well-known outsourcing brand in the Philippines. They pretty much led the way with the new generation of outsourcers, those that cater to uh, a more flexible model and to the SME, SMB space. So it's great finally to have Charles on the show to discuss his experiences in outsourcing and uh, of course microsourcing and how that can help serve the business community. So it was a really good a great conversation I had with uh, Charles. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from business and staffing strategy optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you're already outsourcing, about to start, or somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your outsourcing practices. We list over 700 outsourcing suppliers on our website, host this leading outsourcing podcast, and have over 5,000 pages of content. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. We offer everything from light brokerage, co-managed services, through to fully managed solutions. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Mention that you're a podcast listener and we will give you special attention plus a 10% discount. This is for a limited time only. Go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Welcome to the show, Charles. Thanks, Derek. Uh, thanks for having me. It's been a while uh, that you and I have been uh, discussing, uh, joining uh, forces to kind of discuss the, the outsourcing industry. So I'm glad that we're able to connect today. Yeah, I'm really excited to have this conversation, actually. And, and you know, we have uh, lived in the same city for many years. We haven't actually met up. We've been working in the same industry, crossing many paths, many mutual friends. But uh, So I'm really excited for this uh, conversation today. So, Charles, I suppose, you know, I'm really eager to, to get an update. Um, you uh, work for work with microsourcing, and uh, there was obviously the recent merger with Probe Group. Uh, and I'm really excited just for a quick update on on the probe uh, microsourcing merger. How's that all going? Yeah, it's going really, really strong. Um, You know, at the end of the day, microsourcing, you know, we position ourselves as the pioneer and the largest player in the market for an alternative form of outsourcing we call managed operations. Some people call it staff leasing. But now that we're a part of the probe group of companies, like the, the, the acquisition 
commenced March uh, 2020. So, you know, <laughs> pretty crazy times. But in that time, uh, we've really been able to kind of really become incorporated into the, the, the family, the probe group of, of businesses. So we've gone from being, you know, 4,600 FTEs as a microsourcing company to a, a, a group of companies with over 15,000 employees worldwide representing different lines of businesses and even outsourcing models. So it's really positioned ourselves in a really positive way uh, in terms of us as a company, in terms of a strategic footprint, but also what we can offer our clients from a strategic um, solution standpoint. So, yeah, integration processes, they're very hands-on, which is really great because it shows that, you know, they value microsourcing's role in the outsourcing industry and a lot of the lessons and things that we've developed since 2006 and they've really been hands-on and, and really open to any value propositions that we we can provide the group of companies so I, I would say it's just a, a really great marriage <laughs> and I want to get into microsourcing it's, it's very much you know it, it, it's a leading brand within the market and I I you know I'm not sure if you know this but I started my outsourcing journey as a client of microsourcing for my for my very first business and I think that was in about 2011 we had our first staff in Eastwood uh, so it started my journey and actually I think many many people in outsourcing started with outsourcing so it's an incredible brand in the market very much a beacon for as you say the sort of the new generation of outsourcing I, I would I would see it as and uh, it's done incredibly well, so so well done. But first, Charles, a little bit about you. You're uh, you're clearly Australian, uh, <laughs> and you're sitting in Manila. So, what's your journey? Yeah, I've actually been based in Metro Manila for coming up to ten years. So September this year will be my ten year anniversary. So originally from um, yeah, originally from Melbourne, I was a corporate lawyer there. Um, really enjoyed the, the legal game, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a problem solver and you give me a problem and I like to solve things quickly. And in the legal profession, it's not about how quick you close a, a deal or solve a problem. It's about how long you can take to create new problems and, and bill accordingly. So I kind of found there was a bit of a, a misalignment in terms of my skill set and, you know, the legal profession. So I wanted to look for something different. I, I come from a family where we traveled extensively. My, my father is actually British, so I'd travel a lot and see the family from, from that side of the, the pond. Oh, I guess that's the wrong geography, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Um, so I always found, you know, traveling was a really important part of, of my upbringing. And then being a corporate lawyer in Melbourne, I was able to travel quite a lot domestically, but I just felt very trapped uh, in the kind of Melbourne legal scene or the Victorian legal scene. So I knew that anything I do, I wanted to kind of be a problem solver, but I wanted to go in a market that really kind of rewarded effort as opposed to, you know, I guess tenure. Because uh, I was very young when I moved to the Philippines. I was uh, 25. Um, so mm. um, I, I wanted a, an emerging market which would really kind of recognize and acknowledge and reward my effort. And, yeah, I... I Landed, I got a job uh, for a consultancy firm. I was actually meant to be based in India, but I, I came to the center of operations in the Philippines. It's actually a Hong Kong company, so there's a few kind of moving parts there. And just found that, you know, the industry was very much like for what we were consulting in, it was very much, you know, pointed towards uh, the Philippines. And, um, yeah, my, my value proposition to the company was 
better place to be based in the Philippines. So I did go to India uh, quite regularly, but um, that kind of got me into the the outsourcing industry in the Philippines from a more of a consultancy standpoint. And then two years after uh, working in that company, I call that my practical MBA because I went from being a, a corporate lawyer to really being a, a, a country manager of, of a, a small business. And so, I, you know, I learned all about, you know, managing people, the, the ins and outs of uh, business. And I, I met the, the founder and uh, then CEO of Microsourcing in an Funnily enough, an AFL event. Uh, my job was to look after the sponsors, um, the founder, so Philip Coyman, um, and the then COO, who later became our CEO, Shord Cross. Um, uh, they were they're Dutch, so they had no idea what uh, AFL was, um, that, but they'd sponsored a team. And so my job as a member of the Philippine AFL committee, or not committee, but um, group I was there to look after the sponsors and within three hours we were talking about um, partnering up and I believe after two months I was heading up their business development operations and then over over time I've just taken more of a more um, role or a more kind of executive level role with microsourcing over the last eight years so um Gosh, yeah crazy ride I bet you didn't plan <laughs> all of that when you left Australia no, it was just, and that's what I love about, you know, working in emerging economies, because it really is about, you know, you, it's not about how old you are, it's about what you can do. And I think there's, your voice is louder. So I think, you know, the opportunities that I've had here, you know, I, I'm second in command of a, a 4,600 uh, size business unit. Um, I just don't believe I would have been where I am if I stayed in Australia. So, you know, always will be indebted to the Philippines and the outsourcing industry. And, um, you know, I still do a lot of the, the legal side of things. Um, the, the, so I'm, you know, once a lawyer, always a lawyer, but I'm able to kind of balance that with business development and um, just, yeah, business side of things. So, yeah, it's been a, a great ride and, um, yeah, looking for more challenges to come. And it's been an exciting journey with microsourcing then, hasn't it? It really has been, you know, microsourcing has been one of the movers and shakers of the industry, really. There's, there's been a couple, you know, a little bit of M&A action in the business and it's, um, you know, strongly branded and, and high growth. Uh, how's your experience? And, you know, throughout that time, you've been sort of quickly climbing that ladder within that organization that's also been moving so fast. So um, how do you reflect on that? What is yeah. it? Yeah, no, it's... In Amazing ride. Like I, I joined when microsourcing was, you know, 1,600, 1,800 headcount. Um, so the founder, Philip Coyman, he set it up in 2006 um, and basically it just kept growing. And then he brought on uh, a really close friend of his, um, Shord, uh, who then later became um, the, the CEO uh, for the next seven years. And um, he well, Philip kind of took more of a back step because he kind of got to the point where he set it up and he was like, you know what, I've set it up, but I need it to kind of go to the next kind of phase. And I think, you know, uh, you know, me and, and Shord were the ones that were kind of tasked to kind of keep that trajectory in, in terms of growth. Um, that also coincided with um, the first merger that uh, we were involved in. So Salmat, uh, so publicly listed Australian company, they acquired us, uh, acquired us in 2013. Um, they then held on to us for, well, until last year. Um, and in that time, we were able to go from, you know, that 1,800 mark to 4,000 plus. 
So I think that was a, a great, um, um, well, hopefully, hopefully they found that was a great acquisition of theirs uh, because they, um, well, we were acquired by the probe group of companies in yeah, March last year and we've only seen further growth since. So it's been a, a great time. Um, lots of changes in the, in, in the company. So we've integrated a lot of processes, um, also um, you know, aligning the, the different measurements, the different projects within the different uh, group of companies. So, you know, Probe has a very large and, and strong footprint in the Philippines uh, already with their customer support um, solutions. Uh, they then acquired Microsourcing and Bepo. So Bepo is a smaller provider in the same space as Microsourcing. So they were actually based out of Clark. Um, then after that acquisition, they then got uh, Stellar, which was a- another uh, large player. They, they brought on another four to 5,000 employees. Uh, Stellar operate in that more traditional outsourcing space, just like Probe. So what's great about this acquisition with Probe is that between Probe, Bepo, and Stellar, the Probe group basically has every solution, every scale uh, available to the market uh, from an outsourcing standpoint. So as you know, a, an executive within microsourcing, it's actually quite liberating knowing that if I'm talking to a prospect that may not want operational control that you know, managed operations requires, I've got my colleagues in, um, uh, in Probe that I can actually hand over a, a really warm lead and they can transition that into a full outsource solution. So it's extremely empowering um, in terms of just knowing we have so many tools in the, in the toolkit. Yeah, incredible. And I interviewed Andrew Hume, who's the CEO of Probe Group, and you know has pretty much captained this uh, roll-up uh, of of all of these companies. And it must must have been a huge amount of work. And of course, it was sort of somewhat overshadowed by the whole uh, COVID thing. Um, must have been kind of a pretty pretty uh, tough time huh? to to get all of yeah. this working, to get it all together, and then you know to continue operations during you know sort of one of the most stressful times on the planet. Uh, no, and, and, and that's, yeah, Andrew's involvement was is amazing. Like, at the end of the day, like, they, he's built a, like, probe group up to 15,000 people during one of the most disruptive times in modern history. But all business units are growing. So, you know, I look at Probe, I look at Beepo, I look at Microsourcing and Stellar. We've all been growing during these crazy business times and I think that's a testament to you know his guts and determination to really just keep pushing on and you know making the most of this crazy time so I've got nothing but respect for the the executives at Probe uh, and you know I've learned a lot out of this Um, you know I'm still you know I'm relatively young um, and what I've learned in the last uh, 12 months or I should say 16 months is just invaluable in terms of just uh, you know, process change, change management, and, and how to just kind of almost double down in crazy times. That mm. being said, you know, we, we have private equity funding, so I guess we're in a very strong position to invest, but you still have to make it work. And I think Probe's just really delivered on all fronts there. And it is, you know, I think it's putting outsourcing on the map a bit. I think very commonly outsourcing is seen as old industry uh, pretty undynamic, but I'm hoping that's all kind of changing a little bit. You know, maybe even with the advent of uh, Upwork going public and Fiverr going public, and people have their eyes on that. Uh, right through to recently Task Us going public and performing, you know, well at incredible multiples. 
and then the sort of M&A activity of Pro Group. Do you think the the perception of outsourcing as an industry is is changing in you know in in sort of the eyes of investors and private equity and industry generally? Um. Definitely. And I, and I think in a way, I think this whole, the, the, the pandemic is actually, I think, really pushed outsourcing front of mind for a lot of executives. Because at the end of the day, like every country, every city in the world and, and all, or most businesses had to um, evolve and, and develop remote management structures and process mapping. And especially when it comes to managed operations models of outsourcing, that's essentially... Uh, an outsource readiness um, course that they've done themselves just to respond to their domestic challenges or a way that they could respond to the market change due to the, the pandemic. So I actually just think that it's kind of removed a lot of the perceived obstacles that businesses had when, it, when they were looking at outsourcing because they were basically managing a remote team anyway from a domestic standpoint or an onshore standpoint and now that they can really kind of access more scalable solutions, more affordable solutions by harnessing the power of outsourcing. So I think, you know, in a, in a really kind of strange way, I think that the pandemic's really supported the industry. And I think M&A um, is kind of really, they've got their finger on the pulse when it comes to that. And it's also uh, the markets. The markets continually to come, you know, there's more opportunities. There are more competitors that businesses have these days as opposed to five, 10 years ago. So anything that businesses can do to become more dynamic, more cost-effective, and, and just kind of protect their margins, I think um, it's both you know the, the process mapping, but also just the, the way that businesses can remain uh, competitive is to really embrace outsourcing. So there's a lot of moving parts that are really, um, well, supporting the, the growth and development of the outsourcing industry. So it's a great kind of industry to be a part of at the moment. And we are seeing a big shift, I think, you know, globally towards outsourcing, offshoring. And, you know, there's this whole shift, of course, with COVID uh, embracing remote work. And with that, I think, you know, it's hand in hand with globalized employment. And there's the old perception of outsourcing, which is call centers and it's customer service. But now it's so much broader than that, really, isn't it? It's, It's more about staff augmentation. It's about having a globalized workforce and taking advantage of the the different uh, cost structures but also as you said before you know there's incredible sophistication in the outsourcing industry in terms of process mapping process building process optimization that many sort of standard industries haven't even considered and so by tapping into the globalized workforce you're also optimizing your operations it's an incredible win-win isn't it no, indeed. And, and I think, you know, the key thing with that is it's just businesses have to outsource these days. Like, you know, a lot of our, our large clients, they've transitioned to a position where onshore set, they basically put a mandate to the, the different stakeholders of their business units and say, the outsourcing solution in the Philippines has been validated. Um, you now need to work, you have to come to the board or executive level to say why you can't outsource in the Philippines before we are we're allowed or before you're given the green light to hire onshore resources. So I think that says a few things. It says one, the talent here is now really well respected. 
and it's matured to a point where onshore businesses are now mandating companies to basically utilize this really, you know, well-trained, well-managed um, and, and well-qualified workforce. Um, and, and what actually happens, I don't feel like it's going to impact onshore jobs. I think what happens is it just means that if you're going to be paying high onshore salaries, you want high return on investment. You want these people doing the high-end, the specialised profiles that may not be in the talent pool in the Philippines at this point and augment that or support the, the onshore staff by having the, the, the Philippine workforce to do more of the process, the, the more kind of lower-level profiles to really help the onshore team focus on that, that you know, maybe it's product or, or process development. So I also think that's helping onshore grow as well. Um, so the cost savings they get from augmenting their team with an outsourced solution, you know, they're, they're, they're saving a lot of capital, which they can reinvest in the business, marketing or whatnot. So, you know, there's a lot of, like I even feel that the perception that outsourcing takes jobs from Australia or America or the UK, I, I think now people are understanding that it's not the case. It's just utilising resources effectively. And I, and I think that's a, a really kind of nice synergy between an outsourced solution and an offshore workforce, sorry, and an onshore workforce. Yeah, I mean, this this whole taking jobs thing, I, I don't think it has ever sort of stood any tests. And, you know, there's been outsourcing for, for many decades now. There's been outsourcing, of course, of manufacturing for, for many more decades. And there's been automation and, um, you know, robotics happening for decades as well. And we're still, the globe, you know, maybe other than COVID, is at record low levels of unemployment uh, you know, and people can't find the staffing that they need. The world is getting increasingly prosperous. So, you know, if if all of these robots, automation, offshoring, offshore manufacturing are taking jobs, it's it's not having any impact, is it? Yet, you know, all businesses, all workers, and generally society is getting more prosperous. Um, it, you know, it hasn't yet had an impact, has it? Hundred percent. And again, and I think that's also it's just a just the perception of outsourcing is changing. So I think, you know, the, and, and that's just supporting the, the industry as a whole. That's why I think, you know, across the board, I think uh, the, the COVID pandemic, we all kind of um, took a back step for a few months, but then, you know, uh, once the, 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 well, a lot of the businesses were able to take stock, um, I think growth everywhere, even onshore growth is really kind of starting to kick up. So yeah, I, I don't feel that there's any basis for, um, you know, outsourcing or automation being a threat to the well-being of future generation employees. Charles, I'm hoping for you know, with my with my marketplace and just generally a big proponent for outsourcing, whether it's Philippines or or just sort of more of a globalized workforce. There's going to be a tipping point where you know, if it's 25 or 35 or 45 percent of businesses, once that tipping point, once 25 percent are outsourcing, then all of the competitors will see it. It will be far more normalized. And as you said, it would be an expectation as opposed to sort of an aberration. And then everyone else would very quickly follow suit. And I think there will be this tipping point eventually. Do you think we're there yet? And how far away do you think? Um, because, you know, 20 years ago, there wasn't the technological infrastructure. There wasn't the sort of, there wasn't paperless offices. There wasn't normalized kind of, uh, asynchronous work and the tools that support that. 
now there is, and now also with COVID, there's you know more of a sort of adoption of remote working. Do you think that we will get to a tipping point where it's just a globalized workforce is the default? I do, and I think we're a lot closer to that than we were 12 months ago. And you know, you you made reference to all the tech, not like you know the the tech that's been developed, the the, the perception that you off you know offshoring is a lot more acceptable. But I also think the industry has the outsourcing industry itself has really helped out the, the the marketplace because you basically now have solutions that cover all needs. So before microsourcing, before you know the managed operations, you really only had two options. You would either go to a call center if you didn't have fifty to one hundred. Uh, FTE or you know employee requirements, they probably wouldn't pick up the phone and respond to you. So there was always this scale that outsourcing required for people to get started. Um, then you know the alternative to that was a company to incorporate in the Philippines. So they would have to basically set up shop, invest uh, to get you know incorporated in the Philippines, invest in uh, commercial real estate, build out a management team, and become legally liable in a foreign jurisdiction that they may or may not have any understanding of where I think the industry through you know the the upworks the the well speedlancer is a, a good example of an emerging um, company that um, is taking on you know the the, the upworks and, and and freelancer uh, so even that there's more competition at the kind of lower end where people can get projects done and, and outsource um, and that's almost like the the first step to outsource if you get used to managing a, a team or a team member in the Philippines or another country remotely and you get the benefits of a, a lower price resource, that's going to be the first step. Then now with the, the companies like microsourcing in, in the kind of um, managed operations space, generally speaking, there are no minimums. Most clients can start with one. You know, microsourcing, for example, we have clients with one to five headcount. Our largest client has close to 1,000 FTEs or employees with us. We have a handful of clients that are on, you know, the 500, 300 mark and then a few 50 to 100s. So it's, it's a really scalable solution now. It's, it's not just for the, the, the big publicly listed companies or the, the, the companies with heaps of funding that needed 100 to 200 to 500 uh, employees. Companies like microsourcing really gave an ability for kind of small to medium-sized enterprises to start outsourcing, get the benefits of outsourcing at a, at a lower level. And so, you know, now there's a solution. And then you've got, you know, the big players like Probe where they, you know, they talk to these public, they, they service the public listed companies. We're talking 500 FTEs, thousands of FTEs. So the industry itself, the outsourcing industry has created a solution to really remove the obstacles that were once there for businesses to utilize the Philippine talent. Mm. And as you say, the the sort of fractional access now, you know, and, and part of that's because I think the industry, the outsourcing industry has matured and it's become fractured and there's sort of a broader range of offerings, but also because the, the technological infrastructure is now so much cheaper, you know, it, like you yes. don't need servers anymore. Everything's in the cloud. Also consumer behavior is that they, they want, you know, sort of monthly contracts and flexible contracts, turn on, turn off, everything turnkey. Uh, it, it's incredible now, isn't it? And, you know, I was I was listening to one of the founders of Upwork uh, give a talk, and he was saying when when he started Upwork, whatever it was when they first started Olance or something like that, uh, it was um, you know the concept they had to really convince people that you could hire people, 
halfway across the world. Like it, it just people couldn't even sort of grasp it. Whereas now we're there, you know, and it's normalized. And I think the millennials and the younger generation and the sort of entrepreneur side, they're very big adopters of uh, sort of globalized employment almost first as a default before you would even look to hire someone in your own country. So it's incredible this sort of trend that is happening over, you know, sort of, I suppose, five to 10 to 20 years. But maybe in another 20 years, you know, once all the millennials that have grown up on these platforms, it would just be a default that you build your team where it's where the skills are, where the uh, where the um, supply is, and where the cost is right. It's it's going to be a fascinating sort of next stage for the industry, isn't it? Hundred percent, and I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It, it really is the development of cloud-based platforms, telecommunication like Skype and you know Google, you know uh, Microsoft Teams you just can actually effectively communicate with people anywhere in the world at any time and collaborate. And that's essentially what outsourcing is. It's just collaboration um, at a more cost-effective and scalable um, uh, way. So I I, I think, you know, if there is more tech that's going to assist in remote communications and collaboration, it's only going to support outsourcing as a whole. And we've had... COVID now, obviously, and I want to talk to you a little bit about that. And, you know, it, it's just been an incredible disruption to, to everyone's operations. Uh, but, you know, it, it's just incredible. Imagine if COVID happened 25 years ago when we didn't have the internet and everything was on paper. I, I reckon we all would have just given up and retired and gone to the beach. Like, you just couldn't do anything, you know. Um, so it, it's quite a saving grace that we can work from home and everything is paperless and we have these tools. Uh, and it is pushing everyone over to, you know, adoption of remote. Uh, how, you know, how has that, well, operationally, how did it impact microsourcing, uh, you know, in those early months? Like where was you, where were you, where was your head? You know, how did the operations respond? Yeah, well, um, it was it was insane. It was an insane time in in microsourcing in the industry's history. Um, I, I well, for the first few days of the pandemic, um, we had well, we had to shift over four thousand computers to a um, you know work from home setup. So that the the, the logistics that went into that were in were amazing. Um, we all thought it was going to take, it wouldn't take that, that long. And, you know, the, the whole kind of, <laughs> we, we, we thought it'd be, you know, a few months of disruption and then, yeah, 16 months, 18 months later, we're still, we're still here. Um, but yeah, like I, I would say it has disrupted a lot because at the end of the day, there's a lot of our, our resources are working in a work from home um, environment, which is not optimal because at the end of the day, companies like Microsourcing, we invest millions of dollars in our infrastructure. You know, one of my, my things that I say is that we, we have strategic locations. These are purpose-built outsourcing hub cities, you know, four-link redundancy internet, 100 to 200 MPBS. Like that value proposition just isn't there at the moment because you've got people working from home, leveraging off consumer-level internet. And, you know, we're, we're not in Australia. We're not in America or the UK, where there's uh, stable infrastructure that can support that. But what I've been really surprised with is, is just the way that the employees have adapted, and even our clients have adapted. So there, you know, there are times where maybe the internet or the power can be a bit problematic, but we make it work, or the employees make it work. Um, and so we've actually found that you know we, we've got some clients that actually love work from home, and they don't want to go back to an office solution. Which, again, I, I'm not a fan of 
the work from home solution just because it's just for a company like Microsourcing, you know, one of our value propositions is that we can guarantee uptime. Um, that's not there at the moment, but I think the world is a lot more flexible, a lot more understanding because most of our clients are working from home as well. So, um, you know, like I, I think it's really assisted, um, you know, people's ability to work and be flexible in different environments. Um, I, I do believe that we will be returning to an in-office solution sooner than later because at the end of the day, it is all about quality. It's all about infrastructure and that's companies like us investing there, you know, allows us to offer the best facilities. But from an employee standpoint, I think right now that the whole kind of concept of, you know, waking up 10 minutes before your shift probably sounds nice, but, you know, working from home has its limitations. There's no kind of cooperation or, or collaboration with your your, your team members, and when I say that, I mean like on site. You don't have that employee engagement that you would have, that center of operations where everyone's together, there's, you know, knowledge sharing face-to-face. Um, you know, Filipino employees, they are some of the most social people in the world. Uh, we have cafes at all of our um, sites and, you know, you go there and, you know, you can see how important it is for people just to communicate the employee engagement, you know, like, a lot of companies in Australia, America, like employee engagement might be a dinner party once a year or, you know, a financial year and a Christmas party. In the Philippines, you've got clubs, dance clubs, sports clubs. You have inter-company sporting events. You have off-site events like beach parties, um, kickoff parties, Christmas parties. Like that's not there at the moment. I think that's a really important part of, you know, Philippine business culture that's not being um, you know, maximized at this point because of all the, the restrictions. So I believe, you know, right, like I think when the time is right from a kind of health and, and wellness standpoint, I think there will be a very strong move back to an in-office solution just because people want it. Um, and, you know, looking at the, the way that, that the economy is set up in the Philippines, there's a lot of integration. You've got the BPO centers that are in malls or close to malls, which are close to the restaurants, they're all struggling now because people aren't, well, the volume of people coming on site are, are significantly lower than they were. So I think it's just, I think the Philippines as a whole does need in-office solutions. And, and I, I'm looking forward for, for that to, to become the business as usual setup again. You know, that being said, we do have a lot of clients that are going live from day one in office. So um, you know, a testament to our, our operations, our recruitment and, 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 and just the employees as a whole. Like people, are, you know, in, in a time of turmoil or, or kind of perceived threat to, to health, people are still coming to the office, understanding that that's very important to support this economy. So, yeah, like lots of challenges. Um, and I, and I, I, I can, I've, my respect for the Philippines has only gone um, up uh, in in response to this uh, pandemic. Yeah, I couldn't agree more in terms of the the ideal location, you know, and in an ideal world, I think it's it's better to get people into the office. And you know, these are a lot of the staff are relatively young, and they need uh, you know sort of role models and leadership, and they need to sort of see how things work, and you know, to form good habits within the workplace and they're very strong on community uh it, and just i think it is a sort of net positive for, for everyone to be in the office and as you say especially with the with the sort of philippine uh residential environment it's just not so conducive to work so it'd be interesting to see how all this plays out but i think 
as a client, as a as a sort of a person looking to run a, an efficient operation, it, it's always going to be better, isn't it, to have people in the office uh, and people enjoy it as well. Like people enjoy that community in the Philippines, as you say. So it'd be Precisely. yeah, super super interesting to see how it how it plays out. But well done for coping. I mean, it it, it, it was a crazy time, huh? You know, and I think the outsourcing industry more than any other, it's so people dependent. And when you've got to sort of manage four thousand people in a time of uh, calamity, it, it must be like herding cats, yeah. It's oh, it's it has been a crazy time. Like you know, we've we had the pandemic, we had a acquisition, we had integration with um, a group of companies. Like we've had so much change in the last you know sixteen months. It's um, it's been incredible. Um, you know, from a personal standpoint, you know, the professional development uh, that's you know occurred has been through the roof. Um, and it just you know, I think both personally and and as a company, once this pandemic's sorted out um we're all just going to be stronger for it i i'm and i just feel that's a testament to to microsourcing and even the probe group of companies that we're actually growing during these times we're becoming stronger as a business uh during the most challenging time in history so i think that's kind of also had a a, a, a you know that's really it, for, for for microsourcing and, and the probe group of companies the the fact that we're heading in such a strong direction is is great and you know, I, I don't, I, and I, unfortunately, there's been a lot of providers in this industry just aren't around anymore, just because they just didn't have that foundation, or the the the, the parent company that really believed in uh, making the most of this situation. So, um, no, I, I think it's been a a very uh, memorable experience for all involved. <laughs> Yeah, it's not one we necessarily want to repeat, but there's, you know, maybe a silver lining is, is that people are realizing if people are sitting remote, uh, then they can maybe look globally. And, and I think outsourcing and microsourcing and probe group has, has definitely benefited from people waking up across the world, realizing that, you know, outsourcing really is an option. And maybe also with COVID, when people are are pinched, you know, and they need to now look at how they can cut costs and run more efficiently. Again, this this sort of concept of outsourcing that they might have seen but not really followed up on is is real, and it's a real option, and it's it's a sophisticated operation. Um, it's it's yeah, good for everyone involved. Yeah, yeah. But I think the you know, the, the best pro- byproduct, and and I, I probably said it a few times already, but it's this really this whole situation has really knocked down a lot of the the, the negative perceptions that companies had about outsourcing or even the obstacles that they thought were there uh, that made them not move forward with an outsourcing solution. People just don't have that anymore and they're jumping onto the, the outsourcing bandwagon um, at, yeah, really large numbers. So, yeah, that's there is a very strong silver lining to all this craziness. And what is a conversation like then if you have a conversation with a with a with a prospective business and they've heard about outsourcing, you know, they're on the verge of giving this a go. How, how do you sort of ease them into the concept of outsourcing and what would a typical sort of journey be like? Do you, do you sort of just tell people to get started with one person or set up a big sort of process or how do you generally ease people into the, the concept of outsourcing? Yeah, this is where the microsourcing model helps with removing a lot of the, the perceived obstacles because, we have no minimums. Like our minimum is that we can only provide full-time dedicated resources, so eight hours a day, five days a week. But, you know, 
starting headcount is really based on the comfort point of the client. So I think, you know, the, the fact that the client under our model has operational control so they can protect their process, they can really control the quality. I think that's one of the perceptions that the microsourcing model really helps with kind of supporting. Um, the fact that, you know, they can start at whatever headcount they feel comfortable with. I, I generally don't really recommend one FTEs or one F, like one headcount accounts because the problem is the success and failure is always on that one person and if that person is not the right person if it's not you know if if there's some personal circumstances that just means that this person isn't an optimal performer if their reliance is on that one person it might have a negative outlook they may take a negative outlook on the the talent pool as a whole so I always you know recommend you know two to three just so they can actually have some redundancies and not have all their eggs in one basket from a manpower standpoint. But the journey, it really is, you know, what do they feel comfortable starting with? What what are the core requirements that they feel comfortable managing remotely? And start with that. Because some people think that they need to outsource everything from day one. And especially with the, the microsourcing model, it's about what they feel comfortable managing remotely, what is their core need, and then evolving it from there. Like one of our, our largest clients, they start with one profile with five FTEs. Fast forward 18 months later, they had 16 lines of business with over 90 employees in the microsourcing model. And they achieved that because they started slow, they got used to it, they developed their processes, they adapted their processes, and then they put it across the board in different lines of business. So I think the microsourcing model as a whole does all the kind of, there's an answer to any perceived issue just because it's, you know, starting headcount, whatever you feel comfortable with. Uh, especially with microsourcing, they only start paying us once their team reports into work. So all the actual recruitment, the onboarding, we do not charge because we have that much faith in our process and the talent pool that we only want to start um, collecting revenue once the person goes operational. So even that, that gives that reassurance to the the, the customer that if things don't go well, they at least they can pull the you know the ejector cord and and leave without losing too much capital. Um, so yeah, the, the conversation right now is just, you know, start with whatever you feel comfortable with. A lot of clients now have these processes mapped because of COVID. So that's a lot of the, 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 the foundational issues are now no longer there at the rate that they used to be because clients have those processes. That being said, like I, I found when we were, we were doing business at the kind of start um, and midsection of the, the pandemic, there was a lot of clients wanting to outsource, but there were only like small team requirements. But over the last six months, we've actually found a lot of businesses now starting with larger headcount, which is great for you know businesses like microsourcing because we want larger accounts. Um, so even the market's changing. I think people have adapted. They feel more comfortable with remote management. So they're taking bigger leaps, um, but they are still starting in their core requirements in, in areas that they are the experts in so they can protect the, the quality and, and process flow. So I think, you know, this is where, yeah, the microsourcing model is really helping, you know, me and my other sales team members in, in business, in, in sorry, in microsourcing to really kind of um, close deals at really high rates that, that we're currently enjoying right now. Yeah, I see that as an amazing trend that, you know, I, I think 10 years ago, 20 years ago, people had to first have evidence that outsourcing worked, whereas I think now that is taken more for granted you know and people have more trust in the industry and brands like microsourcing and so that initial sort of 
building confidence, building trust is, is already there and people are able to sort of solve their operational needs a lot quicker uh, as opposed to having to sort of build awareness and educate the market before they then engage. So it's it's really positive, isn't it? And, yeah. you know, how... It's such a it's such a brilliant thing when you see clients like that that you mentioned. To they start with one or two people in one department, and then they realize the potential of outsourcing. How easy it is to integrate into other departments, and then it just kind of flourishes. And I think no one really knows uh, what they can do with outsourcing until they get started. And the the critical thing is really just getting started, getting comfortable, getting used to offshore staffing and as you say sort of getting the processes mapped uh, and then the sky's the limit really but it's just kind of getting getting it started and getting comfortable with with the kind of new workflow isn't it and then and then it's it's easy exactly and that's the thing like you know i I always want larger clients because at the end of the day outsourcing is you know it's 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 all about economy sizes or scale i should say uh, but sometimes, especially with the, the managed operations model, sometimes you want a client to start a bit smaller than they need just so they can, yeah, get used to it, get comfortable. But that's they're creating their own case study so they can actually go to the other stakeholders within business and, um, you know, spread the word of how effective outsourcing can be. So this is where sometimes starting smaller actually results in a lot larger and more valuable partnerships. So... Yeah, that's where I'm, I'm glad that I, you know, represent a company like Microsourcing where there's so much flexibility and headcount um, to allow, you know, clients to kind of start their journey at wherever they feel comfortable and scale thereafter. So, yeah, great place to be. And how does the relationship work in terms of the, the, the co-management of the interests of the staff? Is it the client looks after the operations and you look after the, the sort of the um, compliance of the employment? How, how do you sort of decide those differences for those Yes. Roles. Like, so, you know, at, from the most general outlook, the best way of looking at it is, you know, microsourcing is outsourcing for those who don't trust outsourcing. <laughs> That's probably like, the, the, like the, the shortest way of explaining it. And, we, and the way that works is that we're essentially the recruiter for the client. We are the employer on record. We are the facilities managers. We are the asset uh, procurement team. We're the HR, payroll, and IT support team. We also provide operational support. You know? So we provide account management from an administrative standpoint. So we have the eyes and ears on the ground. They monitor attendance, employee engagement, troubleshoot any issue that the clients have. But you know, from its simplest form, the client really is the one in control of task allocation, process flow, and quality. Then anything that would take their focus off the deliverables, that's the microsourcing uh, support um, or value proposition. So it's not the the client's job to follow up payroll or if someone locks himself out of the computer, they that's where the microsourcing account management support would come in and and resolve those administrative issues, which can take up a lot of time, effort, and really take the focus off what the client's trying to achieve with outsourcing. So that's probably the easiest way. Like the the client is the one that ultimately handpicks a successful candidate. So they're they are involved in the development of their team, but microsourcing is doing all the heavy lifting. And then they are the ones, they would essentially manage the microsourcing team members as if they were their own employees. And the managed operations model, when it's working at its most optimal level, the employees actually feel like they work for the client. It's just from a legal standpoint, they are a microsourcing employee in a microsourcing office. But when it's all 
running at 100, like on all eight cylinders, they really do feel like they represent, they work for and, you know, protect the brand of the client, which I think is an extremely powerful byproduct of this model. And it's the closest thing that really emulates standard employment, isn't it? And employment is the standard, you know, like most people are employed, you have your employer, you have your employee, uh, and people understand that sort of organizational flow. Uh, And it's the closest thing that mimics that. And as you say, like microsourcing really just then manages the back end stuff, the logistics, the facilities, the, the legal compliance so that you can get on with running the business with your staff it's 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 a pure model really isn't it no precisely and and that's again like the fact that the the client has that control those traditional uh, perceived obstacles are no longer there because i can go to the client and say look what are you wor- what are you worried about outsourcing they're like oh i'm just worried that i won't you know that the quality of work or the ability for us to oversee what is being done and the associated efficiencies and, and quality, you know, I don't want my brand to be tarnished by a team I can't control. Where with this, you know, with our, with our model, the client has full control. They protect their brand. And that's why a lot of our clients come from these more compliant industries. You know, you've got the financial companies, U.S. healthcare, um, the, the, the industries that do seek from a compliance standpoint to have that operational control because just from a liability perspective, giving it to a third party that's not involved you can see that's just probably a, a liability that they're just never willing to, to take on. So it really is a, a very strong model to deal with these kind of highly specialised compliant industries. And that's where we've seen a lot of our growth in the last 12 months in. Fascinating. And money, how, how do you price this then? Like it, it obviously comes, you know, it, it's an incredible package that also has the vast experience of microsourcing and the probe group behind it. How is, how is the pricing structured for clients? Yeah, it's a, it's a very transparent model. And this is something that we kind of pride ourselves on because, and we put it all on our website in terms of how transparent it is. But it's really made up of two components. They are the direct employee costs. So that's the base salary and benefits of each employee that the client requires. So this is a variable that the client controls based on their specific needs. Um, when we price it up, we essentially align on a job description. We take that job description and then do industry research to calibrate that JD or job description with the going rate in the talent pool in the Philippines. Um, That's a pass on cost. So microsourcing makes nothing on that. That goes to the employee. So that also strengthens the notion that these guys are the, the team member of the client because the client knows what's going to them and what's going to microsourcing because the second component of our pricing is a fixed service fee. And so that's the only part of the cost to go to microsourcing. So it covers recruitment, HR, payroll, IT. It's all the, the support um, that, and the facilities that we provide. So it's a very it's a, it's a cool model just because they know what goes to microsource and what goes to employees. The fixed service fee is the same irrespective of if someone wants a CPA accountant or a low-level data entry proce- process specialist. Um, it's the same rate. So it also means that we don't have that conflict of interest where you know some vendors would put a, a, a markup or take a percentage of the, the base salary. So that would essentially incentivize them to push up the, the employee costs. We don't do that. We just have a fixed rate and then um, the, the employee costs are a variable based on the specific needs of the client. So very, very clean, very, very transparent. 
Giles, that's that's amazing. And as you say, it's so clear and it is good to have that transparency and obviously people then know the salaries being paid and, uh, you know, everything is, is based on market. So uh, it's, it's good. It's great. So, Charles, I encourage people to reach out and, you know, outsourcing is an absolute game changer for businesses. So how would they do that? How would you recommend people get in touch or learn more about microsourcing? Yeah, we have a very, very um, shiny, newish website. Uh, so www.microsourcing.com. Uh, we basically spend a lot of time and effort to really make it a more consultative resource as opposed to just a kind of landing page that people just, you know, look into. Like this is really giving people as much insight into best practices, industry um, elements on a profile-specific standpoint. So recommend um going to the website there's a very clear call to action and uh by filling out a form uh, the right uh sales resource would then reach out to the the, the prospect and we'd take them on the journey uh, generally starts off with an initial call where we can validate the needs of the client get enough information to put together a proposal just take it step by step so um yeah i would strongly recommend visit our website and learn because we spend a lot of time and effort to make it as informative as possible. Great. And you do have a good website, actually. I do. I've always, you've always done well in the digital and, you know, web department. I've always uh, uh, seen you as, as a leader in, in that. So that's microsourcing.com, isn't it? Uh, yeah, correct. Great. Thank you so much, Charles. Great to, great to chat. That was, that was an amazing conversation. And uh, yeah, looking, up, looking forward to catching up properly in Manila once this uh, COVID has passed. Can't wait. It took a while for us to get on a, a podcast, but I think it was worth the wait. So I, I hope, uh, yeah, the listeners um, get a lot out of this because it's been really fun to participate. So thank you for, um, yeah, inviting me uh, to do this. Had a great time. That was Charles Allnut of Microsourcing. If you want to get in touch with Microsourcing or know any more about what we discussed in this podcast, go to the show notes, which is at outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And as always, if you want to ask us anything, just drop us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.